This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. I've got a uh, special guest, special to me. He's a good friend and mentor over the past probably 15 years. Dr. Bill Dotson is a board certified adult psychiatrist. He was one of the first um, adult pr- practitioners to specialize in adults with ADHD began doing that 25 years ago. He received the Maxwell J. Schleifler Award for Distinguished Service to Persons with Disabilities in 2006 and was named a Life Fellow of the American Psychiatric Association in 2012, recognized his contributions to the field of ADHD. The past number of years, he's shifted emphasis of his practice from direct patient care to writing and speaking. Uh, He's written more than 100 articles, done a number of webinars for Attitude Magazine and the Adult ADD Association. You never figured out the name on that one. So Bill, welcome to the program. Great to be here. So today we're going to be talking about depression and bipolar disorder, which certainly has aspects of depression, and how they um, show up with ADHD. Sometimes it's separate and get confused with ADHD, and other times they occur together. Um, so, Bill, how, how often do those, these two things occur with ADD, but also uh, kind of on their own? Depression is one of the most commonly found second conditions. Uh, The term is comorbid, uh, coexisting. Uh, ADHD is probably the most commonly comorbid condition known to man. 70% of people with ADHD are going to have another major psychiatric diagnosis in addition to their ADHD. So uh, it's somewhat unusual to have somebody who just has ADHD. Uh, In adults, the two that are most common uh, are mixed anxiety and depression uh, and substance use disorders. So it's extremely common. Uh, Depression just in general, out in the general population, is extremely common and a tremendous source of disability. at any one time out in the general population, about 6% of people are going to be in a depressive episode. Uh, among people with ADHD, it's going to be 16%. So significantly mm. more, almost crippled. Yeah, uh, so yeah. That, uh, and I think uh, certainly both of us have seen people that sometimes present with depression and underly ADD is the underlying Thing. So, how how um, how do you define a mood disorder? Because oftentimes, the term mood disorder is used instead of specifically depression. 
uh, mode disorder is the sort of overarching label for all of these conditions. But they are all disorders of mood, and in particular, it's the level or intensity of mood, not the quality of mood. When you listen to the things that people with uh, major depression or bipolar, uh, what they complain of, what they tell you is going wrong, all of these mood states and situations are universally known. Everybody mm -hmm. has experienced these emotions. And it's, mood is the predominant emotion or feeling at that particular moment. What makes it a disorder is that the moods have taken on a life of their own. Usually we go through life and something happens and we have an emotional response to it. In other words, the moods are triggered. Uh, with a mood disorder, the mood just comes for no apparent reason. It has mm -hmm. a life of its own, separate from the events of the person's life and outside of their conscious will and control. As other people will tell you, you know, buck up, feel better, do this, do that to, to feel better. Someone who's depressed can't do that. Mm -hmm. They have no it, control over what their mood is. So can something, uh, say, death of a parent or um, losing your job, can that trigger a depression? That is, it looks like the, the triggering event, but maybe in the past they've had um, this depression that comes out of nowhere. It, it, technically speaking, uh, it has to come out of nowhere. Hmm. Uh, but it's, life is rarely that simple. Yeah. Uh, uh, what caused the person to lose their job? It was that they were already depressed. Uh, mm -hmm. They didn't have the energy. They didn't have the mental acuity. Uh, they didn't have the hopefulness. Uh, they stop being productive, that they really have the depression before that. Uh, also, this, this whole notion of cause and effect, that we're used to having something happening and we have an emotional response to it, uh, we still expect that to happen. So when we feel, or it sort of reverses it, when we feel something, we look for the trigger. Mm -hmm. With a mood disorder, there shouldn't be an obvious trigger. So usually the two are really quite separate, but human beings are going to look for what caused this yep. depression. What's the cause? Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. I know what caused it, I can do something to reverse it. Right. And so many patients ask, well, I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. Everything's fine in my life, one thing or another, and that's the, the mood disorder aspect. And certainly with people that have both, ADD and depression, it may be the depression that's obvious, but the ADHD has affected their job performance and then people get more anxious and then depressed that, boy, I've been trying all these things and nothing's working. So they can kind of fit together, both of them, in there. And, and that sometimes is hard to really tease apart because mm -hmm. what we're getting with the frustration of having ADHD. I've tried so hard. I've tried everything yes. I can think of. I just, it's, I just have given up. We call that demoralization, uh, which mm -hmm. is different from 
being depressed. And, and so the two of them look the same, and they're kind of additive. Uh-huh. So that, that each one makes the other worse. They feed on each other. Um, people with ADHD have won the negative genetic lottery uh, in that they are genetically predisposed to uh, mood disorders and genetically predisposed to ADHD. Uh, plus, they could also have a third condition. Half of people have a third major diagnosis. So it, it can be tough sledding uh, yeah. for somebody where these things all happen at once. Yeah, and it can be tough for the clinician they see to try to sort it out because oftentimes um, people are, well, okay, this happened, that happened, and they try to roll with it so they get into more depression. That's when they show up to our office, but it's hard to find the ADHD part in there because the depression is evident. Or same thing with bipolar disorder. You're feeling great. You don't go to the doctor. Um, and, and the other problem is that what the average person on the street calls depression uh, is not actually what you or I as clinicians might call mm -hmm. depression. For most people out there, uh, depression is used equally with being sad, blue, down in the dumps. Um, point of fact, only about 60% of people who are depressed ever report sadness. So mm -hmm. it's not there all the time. By far the most emotional, most common emotional uh, aspect of depression is uncharacteristic irritability. About 95% of people who are depressed are just kind of rubbed raw irritable. Mm -hmm. And uh, little things will get under their skin and they'll overreact to it. So that what they and the rest of the world sees is not necessarily sadness, but it uncharacteristic levels of irritability. And again, that doesn't connect with most people. They say, I'm irritable, leave me alone, rather than I'm depressed and I need to mm -hmm. see somebody about it. And the other uh, thing I look for is, and it's probably not there in everyone with depression, but certainly pretty common, is not really being interested in things that they usually would. If their hobbies have fallen off or no, I don't want to go for a hike or um, whatever. Nothing seems interesting. Well, and that, that really is what depression is, is the inability to derive pleasure from those activities which were previously pleasurable. So uh, when somebody loses their appetite, it's that food has become uh, unpleasant. Uh, mm -hmm. They get no gratification from it. When they stop being sexually active, it's because sex has no more interest or pleasure in it. Uh, when they uh, withdraw from the world, it's, there's no what, what's the use? It's not going to feel good anyway. Depression, mm -hmm. part, if you look at all 18 possible symptoms, all of them have something to do either with irritability or that inability to uh, irritability, or that inability to experience pleasure or gratification from mm -hmm. things that they used to like. That's really what depression is. So then, um, bipolar, which is sometimes 
has been referred to as manic depression. Now we call it bipolar. Um, but there's still elements of depression in it along with an elation and, boy, everything's going fine. Right. And it's, it's usually one or the other. Um, we, we separate all the different mood disorders about whether or not the mood goes down and depression and you lose energy to lose. It's all the things you've lost and the person just sort of grinds to a halt. It can go the other direction and people become agitated, aggressive, expansive, grandiose, energetic. Um, or it's basically adding energy to the system. Um, and we, we call that a mania. So mm -hmm. the manias are actually somewhat rare. In order to get the diagnosis of bipolar, you only need one episode of mania in your entire life. Mm -hmm. So that most people, when they present to, to you or to me, uh, do so in the depressed phase. Right. It's really hard to tease apart, is this a major depression or is it a bipolar depression and the person just hasn't had their mania yet? Um, and it's an important distinction because the treatment is different. Yes, yes. And, and sometimes the treatment of, of uh, certainly if, if you're treating the depression, well, that may trigger more of the bipolar. Or if you're treating ADHD and you're using stimulants, that may um, get someone into more of the mania kind of state. And we'll talk with, about that one uh, in a little bit. Um, so oftentimes the, there's a, either a confusion with ADHD or the clinician goes to, oh, it's depression. Um, and they don't recognize the ADHD. Now, that, that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the biggest reason for that is that medical education has been a complete failure when it comes to ADHD. Yep. Uh, complete failure. Uh, we think of pediatricians as probably the repository for knowledge about the treatment of ADHD in kids, but half of pediatricians never have ADHD presented to them in four years of training uh, in psychiatry, um, adult psychiatry, uh, just general psychiatry. 90% of uh, residency training programs do not mention the subject of ADHD in four years of training, even though somewhere around one in every five people who walk in the door are going to have ADHD. Mm -hmm. um, that extra diagnosis, that comorbid diagnosis, increases the chance that they're going to be in the psychiatrist's office. They're either right. there for the ADHD or for the depression, the anxiety, etc. And so about one in every five people, in other words, several people a day, are going to walk in the door uh, with ADHD, and it's almost always missed because yep. the, uh, the doc is not trained um, to look for it. And certainly it's... Yeah, it has to be on the radar. I'm sure in the, my first 20 years in practice that uh, I missed a lot of ADHD, whether it's in oh, yeah. kids or 
adults, I think all of us uh, who haven't taken a specific interest in it um, have missed it. I know, thankfully, the American Academy of Pediatrics is now recommending, well, every child at age four or five ought to be screened for ADHD. I'm not sure that that's going to pick up every kid because some kids do fine in elementary school. They're, you know, it seems pretty easy. They're pretty intelligent. They get to middle school when they have to organize things and keep track of different classes and different uh, assignments and things blow up. Just as with adults, they get a, a promotion at work and now they have to manage people and their own work and things just don't work so well. Now, that's one of the great ironies is that what usually brings an adult into the office is a success, not a failure. Yeah. They've been promoted. They've had the first child born to the marriage or something like that. It's usually that one more thing that breaks the camel's back. One's been able to compensate up until then. Uh, we think of ADHD as being a childhood disorder, uh, but right now, uh, the average age of diagnosis in the United States is 31. Really? Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's way up. And the number of adults being diagnosed is four times the number of children under the age of 18. So ADHD so, is very quickly becoming an adult disorder. Yeah. And it's, I know uh, I still uh, either see a note from uh, another clinician that somebody's brought in or um, even parents will say, well, he's not hyperactive or, um, you know, it, well, he's, you know, a person will say, well, I'm you know, 28. How did I get through graduate school? Um, I was diagnosed when I was 50. And I first question I asked the psychiatrist was, okay, how did I get through med school? And she said, because that was your hyperfocus. And absolutely right. I just ate it up. That was great. Then well, I got to the point where I'm trying to manage people and balance clinical care and administrative stuff and they fall apart. Yeah. Well, and people who have an ADHD style nervous system, for reasons unexplained, tend to be much brighter than the general population. Uh, Joe Horgan did a study that the average IQ of a person with untreated ADHD was 123. Wow. All the IQ necessary to go to a competitive university and get a doctoral level degree, MD, JD, PhD. Mm -hmm. um, people with ADHD are extremely bright, great problem solvers, out-of-the-box thinkers. Um, in my own practice, for instance, I had 175 practicing physicians, only one of whom was diagnosed before they got out into practice. Wow. Yeah. So and I College, med school, residency, and out into practice. Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out, the thing that undid them was the charting. Now, they, they practiced yep. medicine great. It was doing all the administrative nonsense that mm -hmm. really messed them up. And I think that brings up another of the, the myths that um, clinicians look at is, oh, you got through college, you couldn't have, you know, you couldn't have ADD. Uh, they think of it as being so impairing that 
you couldn't get anywhere. And yeah, yeah for some people it is. They don't even think of going to college because they uh, left high school. Um, right. But clinicians also have, I think, a, a bias against ADHD. I think many of oh. them, they yeah. just don't want to have anything to do with the stimulants. So they don't want to even consider it because they equate the stimulants, which are controlled substances and very tightly controlled, with opioids and pain medication and think, oh, no, I don't want drug seekers in my practice. I don't think, well, people with AD, truly ADHD aren't looking for um, drugs or stimulants, partly because they, they, <laughs> they don't feel better if they take more and more. They don't get a exactly. euphoria. Well, that's, that's one of the few things about the stimulant medications that the average person thinks they know that it actually turns out to be true. Um, most of what people have as their attitude toward the stimulant class medications is totally wrong. Mm -hmm. The one thing that's right is they know that if the dose goes just a little bit too high, the patient complains bitterly about oh, yeah. how awful they feel. Right. There's no incentive to take more and more. Yeah. Um, so they they know that. It's in their head. And then right beside that, they're able to have, oh, this medication's going to be diverted. It's going to be misused. Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And it, yeah, okay. very, very few stimulants or low percentage. I think it's something like 2%. Um, yeah. so it's and, more of a problem in people, college populations now. Rarely um, misuse the medication. Almost always, right. it's somebody who is using them for some other purpose uh, who doesn't have ADHD. To to be fair to clinicians and particularly in primary care, um, the emphasis is see more people. That's how you increase revenue because primary care docs and nurse practitioners don't they don't. We don't do procedures where four of them would uh, equal what a family doc may be makes in um, two or three weeks or more. Yeah. So there's not a lot of time. Um, and, and ADHD takes time, lots of mm -hmm, time. To sort it out, exactly. Yeah. Most there of it is, is not reimbursed. Yeah. There is one, at least one uh, primary care clinician who has developed a, a way to fit the assessment into um, a busy practice. And it's over about four visits, I think, and he has people filling out um, any of the surveys to sort out depression, anxiety, bipolar, and those kinds of things. Reviews them as they go along and takes part of the history, gets um, information from spouse or teachers. So he's building up into the diagnosis over time um, and that's one way to do it but it takes the interest and kind of the time to set that up um, and a lot of clinicians as we've talked about either aren't trained or I think they don't want to get into well that's complicated I've got enough to figure out. Well the, a year ago the American Academy of Pediatrics issued its updated guidelines and they did so in two sections. The first one was the guideline about how to treat ADHD, and it was 32 pages long. 
The second one was the structural obstacles to implementing the first one, and it was mm -hmm. 47 pages long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, um, 47 pages to list all of the structural obstacles to treating ADHD. Yeah, from so if somebody has a doc who's willing uh, and competent to treat their ADHD, they have found a jewel. Uh, they yeah, people. they're very, very few of us and not enough of us to go around. Um, so then getting back to kind of the co-occurring co part um, to a clinician who either isn't looking for or isn't even trained to look for ADD, they're going to say, oh, you're depressed, let's use an antidepressant. Or you seem real anxious, we'll give you what ends up being the same medication but for anxiety. Right, right now, the the way the thinking is going is that depression and anxiety are actually different conditions of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, here in the United States with the DSM system, you have to have one or the other. You have to either be depressed or you have to be anxious. Everywhere else in the world that uses the ICD system, you can have mixed anxiety and depression, um, which in the rest of the world is probably one of the most common diagnoses in medicine is mixed anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think again, it, well, yeah, it's, it's somewhat rare to find somebody who only has one. Mm -hmm. uh, usually just, they come together. Um, and with the anxiety, really, uh, the term is anxious distress is the technical mm -hmm. term. Uh, so that not only is the person depressed, um, uh, but they have a great deal of subjective distress pretty much constantly. Um, and they use the word anxiety to describe it. Right, which isn't the... And a clinical definition of anxiety is the fear something bad's going to happen no matter how good things are. Right. Um, the technical term is it's a baseless apprehensive fear. In other words, mm -hmm. something awful is just about to happen. And a life like that's miserable. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen, I remember one, I think he was about 11 years old, and he was worried he was going to be in a low-paying job because he just flunked the test, so he obviously wasn't going to be able to pass seventh grade, so he wasn't going to get through high school, and therefore he's going to have a low job because he wouldn't be able to get in college. And I said, hold it, hold it, hold it. You're, you're going like 20, 30 years out. Let's talk about the test and, and uh, you know, put things in perspective. But that projection into the future of things are going to be bad um, is certainly an anxiety um, aspect. And then, yeah, if he keeps flunking tests because of maybe he has ADHD, then he's going to get depressed, and that's where you get the depression and anxiety. Or he, he's going to feel sad, incompetent, which isn't necessarily the same as the depression we talked about, but is more the the sad, I'm, I'm frustrated, I can't figure this out. I must be a defective person. And until ADHD is sorted out, which may be the root cause of what the symptoms 
that look like depression or anxiety, then things are going to keep spinning around. And I know I've seen many people that, you know, they've been on one or two of the serotonin medications for anxiety, sometimes for depression, maybe more commonly anxiety. We treat their ADHD and they don't need anxiety medication anymore, which is another, I think, uh, emphasis or, or kind of demonstration that the ADHD was really at the base of it. So one other thing I think uh, clinicians run into is the fact that they're trying to treat maybe ADHD, but they're cautious about stimulants, so they say, let's try bupropion or Welbutrin or Stratera, but those don't have a very good track record of, of really addressing ADHD parts. We had some technical issues that cut short my conversation with Dr. Dodson. The next show will continue the conversation with a discussion of ADHD and bipolar disorder. A quick review on the one that just finished. Depression is very common to travel along with ADHD. 60% of people with ADHD will have depression at some point in their lives and 16 to 20% have depression going on at any one time. The key symptoms of depression are a lack of interest in usually enjoyable activities, lack of planning for the future, and also irritability. That is being unlike one's usual self and much more irritable, and that happens about 50% of the time. Sadness is only present about one in six. Thanks for listening to ADHD Focus, and encourage you to listen to the next show with Dr. Dodson as we continue our discussion on types of depression in ADHD. Mm -hmm.